Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. Today is the day, the man of history, the history professor, coming through your speakers, <laughs> loud and in charge. It's Benny Horowitz. What's what up? do you say? You chose the wrong Horowitz. What? I, uh, no history professors here. Oh, oh, come yeah, on, come on. No, not for me. Are you talking in lieu of history books? Is this what you're doing, Denny? What a professional radio man you are. Goodness gracious. It's the same one that I've been doing for the last month. So don't get a real Frank Isola over here. Um, Yeah, man. It's exciting. You know, it's, it's a strange, it's always a strange spot to be in because, you know, I'm even like, I'm seeing um, our friend Casey uh, is, you know, is posting pictures from the studio and I'm like, geez, this is like eight, nine months ago. This is like a long time ago. I'm like, I've lost some weight since then. I'm like, I even look. I'm like, I look like it's like January because I can tell I put on a few pounds. Eyes are a little sunk, you know, um, and and and, you know, the songs and stuff like that, they're they're kind of old to us in some ways. You know, the one fun thing is like when you come out of the studio, you learn to play them live which you've never done before. And they kind of can sometimes take on a new life and move in different ways once you start playing it a lot. Um, so that part of it is like, it's like such a great relief because it's like, uh, you can finally just like share this with everyone. And like this whole anticipation is over. Like, you know, if you think like a 10 day countdown is bad, we, we've been done for like eight months. I would have loved to just hand it out eight months ago. That's what an like a real artist wants to do. And you just got to go through the machine if you want to keep paying for like your, you know, kids, you know, baseball cleats and stuff like that. So so we're at that with this record. But it's it's like mostly excitement. And then, you know, like there's always that five to 10 percent of me that's like, all right, if I'm going to get into comments pages, if I'm going to get into reviews, not everyone's going to love it. Yeah. Someone's going to talk some shit. Luckily. Instagram previews have given me enough that I think I've already highlighted what will be people's problems with the record. And luckily, it's a problem I do not have, which is great, you know, because I think sonically, you know, you go into a different situation, you're trying to not create a different sound, but create a different sounding record than you've made. And I think we successfully did that. Um and, you know, like, I think the one thing to to tell people going into it is, like, it's our sixth album together. We've each made, like, dozens of albums amongst each other. And if you hear something, there's a good chance it was intentional. And if you don't like it, that's cool. But, like, you know, it wasn't a mistake. You know, the time change in Little Fires is not a mistake. The production's not a mistake. Like, we know what we're doing and we like it. You might not like it, which is fine, you know? Um, but I think we, we successfully set out what we want to do. So the cool thing is like, as long as you're confident about what you did and you feel good about it, then it's kind of easy to read reviews. Cause then it's just like, if it's bad, I'm like, oh yeah, I just like, uh, I just disagree with you, you know, (laughs) you know, and that's an easy, it's an easy bench to stand on. And I think Maybe that would be my insight into any artist going into something like this is like if you actually make something you're into and make something you're proud of, it's pretty, pretty easy to put it out into the court of public opinion, you know, because like 
you know, you're not insecure about it. And one little thing somebody says isn't going to knock you off your path, you know? Yeah. Now, you were kind enough to share the record with me in February. Went to the Nets game. Nice drive. Uh, we kind of talked right. about it then, but just to kind of put it on public wax, you know, you you talked on here about some of the records that you were listening to leading up into this. What was your biggest drum inspiration heading into this? What was kind of the vibe? Mm, it's a good question. I mean, I think going into this, I was listening to a lot of like, really like songy stuff you know what i mean like um uh, stuff where i think it's hard to say specifically but i think one thing i was really going for in this record was allowing things to have space and putting things behind the space that are interesting you know even in a song that's fast changing the pace changing the rhythm sort of underneath kind of like the kind of the sneaky stuff that like make songs catchy and you're not sure why. Um, but not a lot of like, you know, like, and not, you know, I, I think I'm going, I'm like the opposite Travis Barker, you know, like he's <laughs> a great drummer. I'm not, I'm not trying to take a shot here. He's just doing something like I am not doing, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going the absolute opposite kind of, of like, um, you know, what can you do inside of all that space? And can you make just like really smart decisions with like one hit and like one thing that just like, for whatever reason, sound great, you know? Um, and, I, you know, I think a song like to give you one, maybe like, like morsel since you're since you're fishing for it is <laughs> um, I think like the song Spider Bites, which everyone's going to hear, I think, tomorrow and parts of it. It'd be like an American girl thing, you know, like like early petty where it's fast, but it's not necessarily punk because it's not like do 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 or it's not the double beat. It's not do 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 you know, all the way through. It's just these little like just like Stan, his original drummer would place these like little kicks, these little hits where you're not sure why. But then you listen to it for like the 75th time and you're like, oh that's tasty, you know, and you're not sure why. So I think, I think that was definitely something I was reaching for on this record. That was my thing. Cause when you played, I think it's Michigan 1975, yeah. right. You know, you kind of, it, it, it's a kind of drumming where like the, like to, not to bring it to basketball, but the spacing to kick it out from you is unbelievable. Oh, when did that kind of enter your, atmosphere of, of, of drumming you know because there's like uh on um have mercy there, there's kind of like like the same thing where like you come in and it it, it adds to the depth of like the whole thing how did sure. that kind of enter your repertoire from like you know the early records of like sink or swim where it's just you like going for it again i think it's all in like my effort to like service a song you know and when a song starts to go into a feel that i know that's not like punk rock. Then I start going to other influences, you know, I think one person I love for that. And even though B Brian gives me shit, cause I think he's, he believes in aliens or whatever, but Beck, you know, like a record, like morning phase and some of his newer stuff. I think there's some like really brilliantly tasty drums on that. One song I go back to a lot is most of the time by Bob Dylan, which like, 
I think is like one of the better songs and like setting a landscape and stuff like that. And then for me, it always goes back to some like old real stoner stuff too. you know, Isis explosions in the sky, uh, you know, Pelican, like some of those bands like that, that I like that really get into like the spacier space, but darker, but still like the same ideas carry over into, into gaslight, you know? So, yeah, it does come from like a different pool, you know, like sometimes I listen to Sink or Swim, you know, I hear a part and I'm like, oh, I was definitely listening to the Bronx that week, <laughs> you know, because like you just hear the vibe and you're like, oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, you start pulling from different stuff. I think I think that's what a lot of this record's going to end up being about is just like part and parcel the process of aging. You know, if you're just making an honest record about where you're at these days and how you're thinking what you're listening to, what you're into, it's going to change. And that's where it's at now, you know? And because we love to do the predictions with sports, I got to bring it to you for this. What do you think, <laughs> to borrow a phrase from our, our buddy Bill Simmons, what's yeah. going to age the best? What's going to age the best? <clears throat> like song-wise or just overall? Like, you know how when like... I'll tell you, I already know. I already know. I already know. You know what's going to age the best what? is... What we're trying to do is hard because like I think the historical precedents for bands who go on like extended breaks, a either getting back together, b getting back together with the same people and c getting back together in a real way where they're like making music and music that their fans like still like there's kind of a low percentage of success there. You know what I mean? Like, um, it goes wrong a lot. And even in the early nibbles of this record, I don't know what's going to happen. I never know. But I think I know we made something that like we're proud of and something that like fans of the band will like to a certain degree or at least like not like be like, Jesus, what happened to these guys? You know, and when you take such a long <laughs> break and you start again, you're toeing the line of. Jesus, what the fuck happened to these guys? You know what I mean? I've said it myself 300 times in my life about bands I loved and discarded them like old underwear. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, bands I loved and listened to a million times. And I hear like one song and I'm like, I'm done, yeah. you know, and it's that easy to like just start becoming irrelevant. So it's scary. It's scary opening this door. And I feel like pretty good that like we might have done a like decent job at it and like you know i don't think we're green day and we're gonna get the next prom song or something you know yeah. like i know blank is trying um <laughs> but like uh i maybe that'll maybe that'll age the best like if one day if bill simmons comes up with the top 10 list of you know bands that took some time off came back with like new music and actually didn't fuck it up like we might be, we might be on it, okay. right? You know, yeah. There's a chance. Well, I can speak for people that have like lived with your catalog. When I heard it, I'm like, oh, everything falls in. It's like you have something to pacify every single to borrow phrase from Taylor. Every single one of your errors, and then you kind of build on it sonically. So I, I, I think if if you're really in your discography, it's going to be there for you. So 
did I prepare you properly for your press junkets coming up? I you're you're getting me there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've only done South America so far. So <laughs> how's your Spanish? <laughs> you know what? I'm always afraid. I'm always yeah. it's it's okay, but I, I never know who I'm on the phone with. And you know, someone who's just like, Oh, come on, dude, like yeah. stop. I don't feel like doing this with you, you know. <laughs> but the record is out. It's a wonderful day in music history and it adds to a impressive legacy for this day in music history. Double shot. <laughs> What's up? What do you got? So I like this one because in 1957 police in Oakland, California inform Elvis Presley, the king, that he is not allowed to swivel his hips on stage in tonight's performance at the Oakland Auditorium. Elvis responds by sarcastically wiggling only his little finger by singing. <laughs> mm, how tongue-in-cheek. The cops film the show anyway, just in case they need proof that those hips swivel. Goodness gracious. You know, I think I brought this one up because I laugh in the face of all right now tell me this this is the question i posed to you was something like yeah. this was this the beginning of the end of the fabric of american society oh jesus or was this the beginning of progress the beginning <laughs> of pop culture i'll tell you that <laughs> fuck <laughs> is this where it all went downhill and then 30 years later you had judas priest <laughs> this is what happened <laughs> oh man, what a, a segue for my question about Gen Z not wanting sex in movies. Anymore. Oh, we'll get to is. that. In, 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 in yeah, this is gonna but, be a sexy episode. That's good. Well, how do you feel about this? We now have our second Elvis movie in as many years. Oh. Uh, this one by Sofia Coppola with uh, Jacob Halordi. I know that's not exactly appealing. Who's that? Why should I know that name? He's uh, name? the tall jock on U Euphoria. Oh. He's, oh, okay. uh, he's, he's, okay. he's kind of a, a six five Josh Giddy that can act. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about by that description. Yeah. Well yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. So, but I, you know what? I didn't like the first one or, yeah. you know, this last one that got made very much. Like, yeah. it's one of those movies, you know, because I'm a musician and I do a podcast semi about pop culture and stuff, I'm like, I got to watch it, you know? It took me like seven fucking times to get through that movie because I was so bored <laughs> and so not enjoying it most of the time. I believe we probably have podcasts from like two, three years ago where I was like, you know what? Boz Lerman, not yeah. for me. Not for me. Not for me. Not my favorite. You know, I think Sophia will do a, a much better job with that film and kind of make it like less grandstandy. You know, I'd like to see that other side of Elvis like that it's just different you know so i would like to see a different take i'm excited for that i'm excited for a two number one a24 um and the fact that it's, gonna, it's more indie base and the fact that I, I i think his his little crew his little memphis crew gets put on blast a little bit which we need so oh okay there you go so here for it but anyway Benny, if cole hauser is not in that crew that that's a huge mistake in casting just oh, saying man oh uh, 
Un unbelievable thing that Sam Hauser's grandpa was able to do. No, just kidding. Uh, all right, Benny. Wild day in music history. I no. have not one, not two, not three, not four. I have five things for you today. Oh my all right. Goodness. On this day in 2006, Amy Winehouse released Back to Black. So incredible company for you. Mm -hmm. um, 17 years to the day. I think a album that's going to be right up there. Classic. So it will remain on top top fitty list for a long time for 100%. sure. 100%. Yeah. On this day in 1988, U2 did something a little bit different when they put out Rattle and Hum had nice. its worldwide premiered in Dublin. Good. Um so I'm totally blown through all of these in case we ever do a podcast on October 27th ever again. We will. But, we will. Um a a sad but vital part of music history on this day in 1980 Mark Chapman bought the 38th special for $169 that later was used to kill John Lennon. Oh, oh, weird one, but, weird but one. important, but important. Yeah. Uh, I hate that I threw his name out there because his entire goal for doing this was to be more famous than John Lennon. But um, yeah. anyway, let's happy time again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On this day in 1975, Bruce Springsteen, you know, maybe, maybe brought this one up Heard for a reason. Heard of him. Uh, was on the cover of Time. How and did Newsweek. I not do that for age? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Having a song with Bruce Springsteen. Of course, I go that. for like the historical narrative thing instead of the obvious, like, oh, like the president of the United States like sang on your record, you know? Oh, that's kind of cool. Duh. Wow. The singer from Pup is the president of the United States. Who that's right. Thought? That's right. <laughs> It's like the Battle of York over again. He's coming down south from Canada to raid the White House. Um, on this, no, which one they burnt down. <laughs> and then uh, another kind of uh, melancholy one on this day, 1967, Muddy Waters was seriously mm. in a car crash in Illinois that killed three people. So ah. wild this day in music history. That is interesting. And side note, do you know where I just visited was the lake? In Madison, Wisconsin, where Otis Redding's plane went down, and I went on a wild uh, goose chase with Ian Perkins, where I was like, where the fuck are you taking it? We were crossing highways, climbing parking decks, doing all sorts of shit to find it, but eventually found the one plaque commemorating what happened there. Otis, big ups. That's hard to find. I've been to Madison a handful of times during my time it is, out there. It's seriously hard. It's honestly basically what side of the lake? on like the top floor of what seemingly is a parking deck. Like it's wow. It, yeah, it's it's like kind of a park that's on top of this structure, but it's it's tough. It's like tough to find. He had a he had some kind of was that that one website with like strange stuff in cities? Oh yeah, that app, Weird uh, Wisconsin. No, the Obscura, maybe that oh. like something like that. Yeah, okay. where you can find like funky stuff in each yeah. in each city. It's actually cool. Hmm. But we he did lead us there. We found it. Very cool. Very cool. Got to pay my respects. Shout out to Wisconsin. That was the other weird thing. As oh, I, I fucked up some cheese curds that day. Oh you my know god, I did. <laughs> I had a tip from Rob Domofsky. Friend oh, of the show uh -huh. covers the Packers for ESPN. He's like, "Yeah, go to this place for curds. You'll yeah. like it." I took a crew. Oh, I went, I went curd crazy. I think it actually fell on the last meal I had before I fasted for Yom Kippur too. Oh so, wow! You know what a way, what a nice way, kosher too. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't fried in any pork fat in that place. I was at. <laughs> you know, it's a a wild thing speaking about the Midwest, as because you know. 
it's your job not to look at reviews of the thing. I did a lot of people describing your sound now as heartland rock. And I don't think I know what that means. Heartland rock. Yeah. You know who I think of when I think of heartland rock Who is John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if like, I don't know, I know a couple Coog songs. They're cool. <laughs> like whatever. Oh, oh, or who else is Heartland? Like, is it like Bob Seeger? Yeah. Is it like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like a rock. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What else? What is Heartland Rock? Or do they mean, is that what people call like Wilco and like stuff like that? These Wilco, days? like traveling Wilbury. Yeah, where we're at. Yeah, like, like that kind of that thing. vibe. Okay. Yeah. I'll go Wilco. That works yeah. for me. Yeah. Jeff Tweedy's all sober, writing books. He's yeah. cool. Yeah. And uh, you could. Listen, I think there's one song on this that eventually makes it onto the Yacht Rock channel on Sirius XM, and I can't wait. Whoa. Love it. Eventually. Okay. Okay. Well, Benny, speaking of new music. Yes. We have uh, a, another release coming up that is highly anticipated. What's being called the Beatles' last song uh, called Now and Then, coming out November 2nd. It's a recently completed version of uh, the Now and Then sessions that includes contributions from all four members is about to enter the realm of the now. Uh, it's been long teased. I think we've talked about it a bunch that Paul McCartney and Ringo were in the studio. were cooking up something. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It, it's from the now and then session. Um, it had not previously been remixed by Giles Martin when they did that on the deluxe uh, editions of it. It adds up to the now and then session adds up to 36 brand new remixes across audio formats on the 1962 to 1966 era of them in 1967 to 70 um and it's coming at you in dolby atmos which is you know the modern version that they're using for movie theaters for sound and everything okay. so it's gonna be a audio experience last song of the beatles what do you make of it wait what are we looking at here the, these 36 songs these are all previously released songs just just the, yes. these versions from this session and then one one new song one new song that was original tracks by John and George and yeah. new tracks by Paul and Ringo. I I is think this, is it this is how it was put together. I think it's four parts that were not used and they kind of, it's kind of like compiled. a bit of a Beatles okay. hot dog. I see. I see. Well, that's kind of fun. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, that's a fun use of digital technology. You know, when, when it doesn't go wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have the movies and the doc and everything right now. Too much. You know the new song. I'm I'm ex I'm interested to hear yeah. the 36. So I'm a little Beatles doubt. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Give me a Zeppelin one. Oh yes. You know, bring me some bring me some a Zeppelin song I never heard. Yeah, that's what I'll take. Some John Bonham track you found from <laughs> actually coming up coming up in March mm. when I play Wolverhampton. Oh, I'm going to be close Shout to the out. Bonham hometown, and I plan to make a pilgrimage to his statue. I love it. He's from Wolverhampton? Oh, around there, there, around okay. there. We're going to have to make an exodus out to the village, the villages. Love it. I bet you Ian knows uh, there was an, an American goalkeeper that played for Wolverhampton Wanderers. His, uh, he, he, he was course. on the 2014 World Cup team. Of course he knows. We'll have yeah. Ian on for a, <laughs> uh, for a football spot soon. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Yeah, let's Melling move on. 
melancholy happy trails here richard roundtree who has graced benny's kit for how many years because it, no, it wasn't 15. just the store yeah yeah 15 years um, and years the my myspace profile picture before that <laughs> the hollywood icon uh who most famously was shaft in the film franchise uh dead at the age of 81 um famously described as uh cooler than bond classier than you know i totally just butchered that quote but shaft <laughs> fucking shaft uh rebooted a million times the opposite over. of smooth daddy <laughs> uh, revisited a million times over most notably by and most recently by samuel l jackson so Richard Roundtree, great career. Let me regroup and I can get into specifics after you eulogize. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, to say like this was like a, a really early cultural discovery for me where these these group of films, you know, like like Shaft and Superfly. And, and I think they were actually queued up because of my love for the show In Living Color which led to my love for the movie I'm going to get you sucker. <laughs> and I think I saw that first and then started seeing these movies like Shaft and Superfly and going like, "Oh, this is what it was parodying." And like kind of finally got the joke. And and ever since it's just been this like very beloved cultural thing for me, and especially Shaft. Like the movie Shaft, I've watched like a 100 times. And I think it was like you're watching a character on screen. I mean, I don't know if it was just the moment in time, how he was dressed, how he acted, kind of the this like self-assured guy in a world full of where you weren't allowed to be self-assured for very long. And like, um, and it was just so cool. It was like magnetic and cool. And then you had Isaac Hayes, who's like the king of cool, doing the song. I still listen to the song all the time because I'm like, how do you get away with just like playing hi-hat and some funky little guitar for like 90 seconds and you're just listening like it's stairway to heaven like like you're like you're going somewhere you know and i you know so it was just like this beautiful moment of cultural time and it was just perfect it rang like perfectly um and you know i you know shaft uh, or excuse me richard roundtree was a new yorker you know, New Rochelle, like, I think that has something to do with, like, you know, his career. And then he went on, he was he was on, like, Roots and, and some stuff like that. You know, he had a slow 90s and 2000s. I think he just became an old man and, you know, appeared in the new shaft with uh, um, with Sam Jackson. And, you know, he was in on the, you know, not the joke, but he was in on the whole thing. And he, he approved it and he thought it was cool. And knew that like Sam Jackson was nodding to him and it would be something cool to appear in. So I don't know. Everything about it is is big. And then, yeah, years ago, you know, I came up with this funny concept for like a little like fake movie and put Roundtree and Charles Bronson on a on a drum head together. Um, you know, both have passed since it's uh, and and I still I still have these 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 drum heads I still use. So I don't know. Big thing for me, man. I'm I'm gonna watch Shaft tonight. I think hotter than Bond, cooler than Bullet. That's oh, what I was searching for. In my dude, brain. <laughs> the best part, and I, you know, as like someone who can even know Jewish can walk around the 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 world as white. I'll always remember the scene 
where the guy holds up like his, you know, his his pen and he goes, Shaft, you're not so black. And the guy holds up his his mug and he goes, Yeah, you ain't so white either. You know, just this like, yeah, get him, Shaft. You know, like this is the guy you wanted to get behind at the time. It's been a minute since I've seen it. I don't know how the misogyny plays, like the overt misogyny in movies like that. You know, like um, it might not be great and there might be some semi-problematic stuff in there. I, I know just a disclaimer. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it and I don't really remember. But, you know, but rest in peace, Richard Roundtree. Thank you for your contribution to my life. By the way, to bring it in, into the very tune-up sphere, played football for Southern Illinois University. So from uh, from New Rochelle going out there to Southern Illinois to play football, uh, then came back to New York, did Off-Broadway. He was in The Great White Hope before Shaft um, and as, as Jack Johnson on there. And then later he was on shows like Chips, Magnum P.I., Desperate Housewives, uh, Grey's Anatomy and Chicago Fire. Um, yeah, just a, a, a unbelievable longevity career in, in a business where it's hard to have longevity. He found his niche and then even grew out beyond that and to be known as more than just Shaft and Richard Roundtree. So respect. And as someone who's traveled around this country, like, you know, if you were going to take two of the five cities, there people got the most swag, the coolest rap, just like the coolest way about them. New York and Chicago are two of the five, 100%. So, you know, got to give respect. Well, thanks, Roundtree. Appreciate you. Always. All right. Uh, let's let's get a, a little Hollywood scientific data on us as everybody just tunes out immediately. But newsflash for Hollywood executives. Young people aged 13 to 24 are looking for less sex scenes in television and movies. This according to a new study out of UCLA. Shout out to UCLA. Um, this comes from the school center for uh, scholars and science. Here's what the report says. It says that 51% of adolescents surveyed are looking for more depictions of friendship and platonic relationships. While 15, while the 1500 young people surveyed, uh, a hundred participants from each age bracket between 10 to 24, the 13 to 24 year olds were the only ones asked about sex and romance. So, so don't worry. All right, let's get into some data since this is a big data oh, podcast okay. here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 43% of the youths felt that quote romance in media is overused around 39% would like to see, uh, more depictions of aromantic or asexual characters and 45 percent uh reported that sex is not necessary for a majority of tv plots does gen z have it figured out or are they totally off base i gotta say i know this is an anecdotal take here doesn't come from data i skip through sex scenes in movies yeah they annoy me i'm like i know what they're doing you know what i mean like i don't watch people in real life do this I don't really take great pleasure in watching it on screen. And it's always to me been like, you know, let's bring up the rewatchables again. What's the, <laughs> what's the part of the movie where you get up and you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that is it for me. Like, I don't really enjoy scenes like that. There's been a couple where I'm like, Ooh, lusty or something. But to me, there's a separate space for like, like, I'm not trying to watch, like, a two-hour movie and wait for, like, six minutes to masturbate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll tr I'll find a more direct path there. <laughs> and I'm watching a movie for a different reason. So I've, I think I think they're on to something. And I, I kind of, like, for my own personal experience, 
I like it. The thing I'm wondering, because it's just an interesting data set, is like, would our generation have had a similar take on it? Because like, or a different take because we had um, no access to this stuff. Like, you know, when you're 12 years old and you're given a phone or you're given a computer, you can probably find a pathway to some like naked pictures, to some sexy pictures, to some things that like, and if you talk to anyone from my generation, we were using the fucking cable box <laughs> trying to find a, a breast amongst the <laughs> static in the channels you weren't allowed to buy. So maybe we were just like, we're like, I want to see it. You know, I just want to see some, you know, some anatomy of a person <laughs> that's not mine. Um, and maybe this generation, like they've been exposed. They're like, yeah, yeah. Seen a breast, seen yeah. a dick. Yeah. Very impressive. Whatever. <laughs> like let, moving on. Yeah. So who knows, man? Maybe it is like a kind of like the socially or culturally uh, like an like an evolutionary step. I'm not against it. I'm yeah. not against it. I, I'm I not know. either. I mean, you go on Instagram or, or TikTok, and if you're searching for the things, you can find whatever you're looking for. So it'll find you. Yeah. Even if you don't want it. It'll see like you don't have to go look yeah. up porn. Like you just have to. Yeah. Like, yeah. why does Instagram think I want to watch like dudes fight at stadiums yeah. <laughs> over and over again? I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. I by no means searched that out. No, I me. didn't. I'm like, why? <laughs> Give me the puppies and stuff like that. That's what I actually this, this robot is all has me all wrong. Mm. So maybe the Internet saved us after all. Think about you know, that. Honestly, that. no, I do think about that. And there is some truth to it. There is like like. The one thing that overexposure gives is less of an arena to lie to people. And I think that is over time going to become true uh, with what's been going on. I love but it. That's another podcast. Yeah. Let's go into <laughs> basketball. please. Give me my rom-com. Give, so. me, give me my, <laughs> the, I need the chewing gum for the mind. I need basketball. Oh, let's well, do you want to do. Let's go. Season started. Do you want to do a little baseball first? Or yeah, oh yeah, World baseball. Series. Come on. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. Gotta I gotta talk about the Phillies losing. I have 100. to. Yeah, so please. it took seven games to eliminate the rival Houston Astros, but the Texans dethroned the defending champions in the ALCS and are headed to the 2023 World Series to face the Arizona Diamondbacks, who went through a heck of a battle, being down three-two to the Phillies, going back to the bank where allegedly nobody wins. They took the next two games, and they're going to the Fall Classic. Uh, They go back to the World Series for the first time since they beat the Yankees in 2001. I know. And the... And the Texans go back, uh, Texans, excuse me, the Rangers go back to the World Series for the first time since 2011, where they lost to the Cardinals. So I, I got to set it up for you like this. Which one of these runs was more improbable? I was out to dinner with my sister to celebrate my 21st birthday when Luis Gonzalez hit the hit that broke the Yankees' heart. So I, you know, but for some reason, I've, I've been to that stadium chase field in Arizona, like three times. I don't know why I always got a lot of time off in Phoenix. It's easy to get around. So I've been to that stadium. One thing I love, and you'll know this about me over time is you give me a stat line in baseball of 25 home runs, 10 triples and 50 steals. Oh, I go from six to midnight. I don't know what it does. It's the nerd in me, you know, 
But like that Corbin Carroll stat line as a rookie just makes me want to root for the guy. Like, like this is where very uniquely in baseball, you get a time where like a player can like elevate larger than a team. And we have that chance right now because with the exception of, you know, Kettle Marte, sort of a name, Walker, a little bit of a name, Gallon becoming a name. Arizona doesn't have the names. Like the biggest storyline is Longoria, besides for that, not being in the playoffs <laughs> since like the 90s. Um, so I think that's a really, really fun part of this. Another fun part of this is about a week ago, my my son's taken trying to stand up for the Yankees amongst a group of little you know he's at baseball practice half of his team are phillies fans they're doing bryce harper shit i can see him shaving faux hawks and wearing the glasses you know and listening to wip yeah they're like putting their jerseys down because of castellanos like i see what they're doing i know what you're up to and i tell my son i'm like listen anytime you just do this baby two seven so easy it's easy it's so easy being a yankees fan you can always toss it up but you know, like I'm watching them really give him shit and he's upset because he thinks it's something you should care about still. And I'm like trying to explain. So to watch this, you know, kind of slyly from the back right now, all these people around here kind of upsetting. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I came in with my my stripes <laughs> on, baby. Do you know what this shirt is? This is an Anthony <laughs> Volpe. Oh, Volpe. Which is the first piece of Yankees merchandise I've bought since CC Sabathia. Wow. That's how much on the Volpe train I am. Um, so as far as my personal take goes, love to see the Phillies out of it. Even though I quite like some of their players. I like a Trey Turner and Bryce. I like Castellanos. Schwarber, I don't know. It looks like a guy who would like say something weird to me at a bar. So like not my favorite. But um, yeah, I, I love this. And just in in true uh baseball fandom i love a team where like like the rookies come together with vets at the right time like texas you know like they went for it they they put in money in seager they put in money in Semyon. they made uh trade deadline moves getting montgomery which was maybe the most important thing they've done for the offseason and then you know you have uh, uh young coming up and you have uh carter who came up right now these these rookies who are like, you know, hitting their their major league stride exactly at the right time. And it, it's a cool formula and it's nice seeing some different teams. It's nice like, you know, oh, like like if right now we were talking about the Rays and the Braves, you know, it, it would be kind of expected. And this is kind of fun. Like and but I do think and you've heard the argument, you've heard people talk about it before. Does the best major league baseball team win the World Series? No, no they do not. And I think we have a lot of historical precedents for that now. And I think we got to get used to it. We got to adapt because it's not like the 1950s where like some team from some other place who's never been to New York finally comes to New York and the bus <laughs> arrives. And there's like, it's, it's just not like that anymore. We added too many teams, <laughs> too many wild card slots, too much shit. And it's, it's a crazy thing. Baseball is just a game of runs. And a team who had a great run in June and July, like these, you know, these days I'm wondering, I'm like, I'm like, our team's going to start looking at analytics and start, you know, like, 
oh, let me give Mookie Betts a week off in June. Let me give some of these pitchers like, yo, fake an injury for like three weeks. Like we just got to make it into the playoffs, you know, and then go on our run. So, you know, you might start seeing the same kind of shit like like that happens in basketball or or hockey because the playoffs are such a, a huge variable these days that, you know, maybe you got to plan for that variable. You might be seeing baseball teams change their thing and the idea that like, the ultimate respect of a player playing over 160 games. Maybe that's going to change a little. All right. Prediction time here. Who wins the fall classic? I'm like in Texas. They kind of seem like a powerhouse to me and just have a little more pitching, catching it at the right time. So I do think the Diamondbacks train uh, comes to a stop. It's that lineup, man. That lineup is thick. You got Garcia, who's just like, you know, this dude, fucking you look at his story worked his way to that moment he's not letting that moment go he's not scared of a pitcher let's let's say that (laughs) um but then you know just stacked lineup with Seager and Semyon and Young and up and down like you can't get through and then they got enough pitching so I I think Texas has the advantage going in I like Texas's pitching Evaldi's been awesome 2.42 ERA Jordan Montgomery crushing it uh two playoff starts at least six shutout innings but the bats of the Diamondbacks have been on fire recently and baseball playoffs have turned more into a game of, of poker. Who's got the hot hand right now? That's the hitting of the Diamondbacks. Love that. So give me Arizona in six. Arizona in six. I will take Texas in six. I love it. Let's I put love it on it. wax. <laughs> All right. Here we go. All right. To the association. Uh, one get me season. on the hardwood. Get me on the hardwood. <laughs> one season's ending. One season <sighs> starting. Oh, it's so nice. My Jokic came back in incredible form, but before the season even got going, Giannis Antetokounmpo said he isn't leaving Milwaukee anytime right. soon. He signed a three-year, $186 million contract extension on Monday. Um, this comes a, after a summer where GM John Horst was able to pull off the unthinkable trade, surprising trade to get Damian Lillard into the city. We've talked about that. The pairing of... Uh, Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo makes their debut against the Philadelphia 76ers on Thursday. Um, the and head coach Adrian Griffin set to make his debut as well. Um, Giannis, a, a big guy who does not want to know when guys are, are being traded, but uh, nonetheless happy with the results here. Giannis staying put three more years. What do you make of this for the Bucks prospects and keeping their window open? Yeah, I like it for a bunch of reasons. Like, you know, we're going into this season and I'm looking at the Bucks roster aging out a little bit. What's happened in the last year or two. And I go, I don't totally blame Giannis for saying what he's saying. He's like not saying I demand a trade. He's just saying, like, you know, if I don't see some some extra work, some extra activity, like, am I comfortable with Marjan Bochamp getting 30 minutes a night still? I'm not sure. And I'm going to say this publicly and I'm going to put, put their feet to the coals a little yeah. bit, which he did. And, you know, what they did, they answered. The only snafu they ran into was was Drew Holiday winding up on the Celtics, which yeah. I think they maybe accounted for, but weren't sure about. And that, you know, obviously... You know, by making this trade, they made their biggest competitor markedly better, um, which is a bit of, oh, Denny. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But and then I like the fact that the Bucks went out 
they're like, Giannis, we hear you. And they're like, we'll make a splash. Here you go. We like gave up a ton of shit. Here's Dame Lillard. They get a little test run under him with the preseason. They get excited about playing with each other. And here you go. And Giannis rewards them for that work with the extension. And now we don't have to talk about it. You know what I mean? And I think it's awesome. Like as a basketball fan, I think it's awesome. And as like a human fan, I like when, you know, instead of Giannis being called a dick or this going to some shitty public thing that I now have to talk about, a la James Harden, who we're going to get to later. Like I just get to talk about basketball. Here he is. He's re-signed. This is his team. Still his team. Already got a ring. Let's go for more. And I love it. Um, and honestly, I'm I think I'm as optimistic as anyone about the pairing of Giannis and Lillard, because, the you know, the one thing that everybody brings up and yes, it's true, is like in a playoff series. Yeah, Lillard's going to get targeted on defense. Of course, he mm. is. as did Curry for years, winning championships, as did Kyrie when he won championships with Cleveland, as did a lot of really, really great guards who play in the league. You know what he can also do? He can also hit seven three-pointers from fucking 35 feet. And 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 he's basically like some semi-step below Steph Curry version of a scoring point guard. That's incredible when he's firing. And then you have the rest of the team. You got the fucking twin towers back there. I'm not as worried as other people. The thing you need to, to win in this league all the time is like a big shot in a big moment. Giannis has needed it in the playoffs a number of times. And now he has like the dude, the dagger. Here you go. I think it's kind of awesome. I really do. And I'm like, even though, sure, we'll see about the potential downsides, like the potential upside's fantastic. And now that he's re-signed and everybody's comfortable, all the boys are rich in Milwaukee, <laughs> making their money, even middle, you know, yeah. everybody, even Brooks got two years. Middleton's there. Like, this is the crew they got. It, and and I like that. It's like now here's two more years with this foundation. We'll try to pepper you in some extra players, which I'm sure they will. And it's a very good situation. I like it. Yeah, this league is not meant to keep cores together and you have to get very creative to find a ways to keep the windows open. And we've seen the the great teams that have been able to do it. The Lakers did it when they got Powell. Um, the Warriors tried to do it with like the draft picks and stuff like that. Well, no, the Warriors 100%. I guess their second window was the Kevin Durant thing. So yeah, they absolutely yeah, exactly. made Definitely that work. Did it. Yeah. I, I kind of look at this move as up there. We talked about it before. Uh, it's going to be fun to see when we get like the full five um out there especially like the four of middleton Giannis, dame and and chris going to be fun um i think that when, now when it comes to buck celtics here this is a interesting thing though, because there's a lot that we don't know and there's not, there's a, a, a lot that we're not gonna know probably until january mm. but from the early outset i i and you brought up uh, the celtics getting better I think on paper they got better. Drew Holiday is going to play there. I think him and Derek White are going to be special together. You know how this move a little bit on the outset, it kind of crushed me a little bit. I love Drew Holiday. I love his defensive prowess. Sure. But I but I I also can't forget Miami absolutely cooking him last year. It's like it's very easy to remember him stealing the ball from Devin Booker and throwing it to Young right, for the right, lot to win right, the championship. Right, right. But Jimmy Butler kind of made him his you know, he kind of Are you making spot. the argument but like like just on paper, take away Marcus Smart, 
put in Drew Holiday, they're no better because of that. What they had, because it, it's it's not just that, because they had to give up up Grant Williams. There's a, a little bit of a depth issue here. Uh, from what it looks like, they're going to be turning to a guy like Sam Hauser off the bench, who I love the guy, but I, I don't exactly think he's going to give you Cole um, Hauser's kid, right? <laughs> yeah, Cole Hauser's kid. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be able to give you uh, what what the bench. Peyton did Pritchard last got year. got six man of the year money. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there, yeah. but. And then my, my 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 other thing, and I said this when the move first happened, and I know that Porzingis stayed healthy last year. He he was great against the Knicks yeah. on opening night for them. But man, I want to see because he's never been in the high pressure situation at the playoffs and to get to where they need to go. They're looking for a guy for with Tatum and Brown to push them over the hump, sure. and I'm not sure any of the guys are going to be able to do that. I mean, the one thing I think is encouraging for Boston last night is the fact that you had a super pedestrian game from like Jalen Brown and they still managed to put up that many points to come away with a road win. Like that's where I think Boston is going to be so dangerous this year is that you really do have like, you know, six, that core of six is just so many strong offensive weapons on the front end that like any number of guys can step up on any night. And, you know, if Jason Tatum can actually manage that MVP level, you know, status for like 70 games with those pieces around them, it's, it's awfully dangerous, but I do think, you know, most people's predictions of Milwaukee and Boston being the the top of the East it, it is accurate, even though like, I mean, we'd all be remiss to just say Miami's like totally out of that picture at this right. point. I really, th- I like, if you really think the loss of like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess is that impactful to a team that put together what they did, they still have their little core together. I, I think they're still, they're still right there to fucking piss, piss one of these teams off. I think. Oh, uh, well, you're not going to get me talking about heat culture, but let's get into the Philadelphia 76. Oh, my gosh. Heat culture. We're going to get into the James. We're going to get Riley on here. We're going to get the interview of the preseason oh, one oh time. He's going to school you on heat culture. Man, if, all, if you want me to use these heat connections, I'm not going to do it yet. I'm he's going to tell it. you. He's going to be like, kid, this is how you grease back your hair, right? You're like, <laughs> what do you think of uh, Adrian Brody playing you in winning time? <laughs> Nobody's asked him that. Um, all right, let's get in, into James Harden here, who yeah. still remains away from the Philadelphia 76ers as their season tips off. What a um, mess. What an unbelievable situation. You know, we talked during the summer about him calling Daryl Murray a, a liar um, and all that stuff. How long, first off, do you think that he's going to be away with the Sixers before we, uh, you know, try to save the marriage for the kids? You know, it's not yeah i think he's not with the team for game one here yeah so and he's he's pretty healthy so like i think we're seeing the beginning of i'm not gonna play you know what i mean maybe the the pitch here is like let them play for a week and potentially lose a couple games and then they'll be death i don't know what is happening but to me you know, especially with like a clipper showing like you had last night, I think his value is less than it was even a few days ago. I think his position is even less than it was a few days ago. And, you know, if I were Philly, I wouldn't play him. 
I don't think he can, you know, I don't I don't know. It's, it's such a hard situation. All I know is this is that James Harden is fucking up another team. Um, again, you know, we're on, this is number four, right? I think so. Yeah. Number four. Like I can't for any conceivable reason, know why a team would bring this guy in anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I think like the worst thing that happened for the Sixers last year was his miraculous 40 point playoff game. It was because it set the table again where some agent or him can be like, look what he's capable of. He's worthy of a max contract when a max contract doesn't mean dick to James Harden. Cause he could just fucking sit on it anyway. Like it doesn't matter, you know? And he's made that incredibly clear with a lot of teams. He's fucked up a bunch of situations I mean, even if we go back all the way to OKC, what if he took a deal? You know, I don't know. That's that's always like it's always like OKC's fault for not shelling out an extra blah, blah, blah. I don't know. What if he just played for two million dollars less because he wanted to play with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and win a bunch of rings there? Could have done that, too. That's like what the guys from the Warriors did. So, you know, man, I'm fucking sick of this guy. Uh, the only one I seriously don't even blame him for was my own. <laughs> it is. The Nets one is the one I don't blame him for because he got there. He started playing. He's like, uh, not what I signed up for. You know what I mean? And like, fair enough. Like you get around that Kyrie Irving stink <laughs> that year. Like, get me away from this thing. That one was fair and, and maybe not his fault. But all the other ones, Jesus, this is really it's really bad, man. And you never should have opted in. And uh, I hate to see it. It's ugly. Um, I don't want to see him playing for the Sixers. I don't want to see him playing for anyone. So, Denny, where is he? Where is he going to go? It, it doesn't look like this Clippers deal is anywhere near completion or going to complete, especially if you got those three dudes healthy, like because they look pretty good. Is it time that he goes to China? You know, he can sell his wine. He can get his. He'd be the kind well, of player that would be very into China. No, I am 100%. Listen, I'm concerned about James Harden, the person right now. And I don't know if it's commitment issues. I don't know if it's a happiness issue. But I think he's got to talk to somebody. Because it's like all of these situations. This is professional basketball. How bad can they be? I get you don't like playing with some guys. Daryl Morey lied to you. All GMs lie to you. Find me one GM in the basketball <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's going to give you the truth. Exactly. I mean, for Christ's sake, dude. Yeah, that's the one thing you can count on is that you're going to get lied to. Yeah. Probably a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got to take this. You got to do the self-serving thing, which is not opt in and then assume somebody's going to give you that. Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know the details. I'm not going to stick up for Daryl Morey being a shady fuck if he was being a shady fuck. But like, again, like you said, you know, how long you got to be in this business to know to protect yourself from certain things and the way you got to handle your own. The thing that's pretty clear to me with James Harden is he just has like zero interest in winning in this league. And I don't know what he's trying to win now. Like all he's trying to win are negotiations and petty battles and this and that. And none of it's on the court anymore. And he just keeps getting older and missing his chances, you know, and and it's sad because. You know what happens if James Harden is happy and playing right now? The Sixers are right there in that conversation with Boston and Milwaukee. For real. Great team. Tyrus Maxey, budding all-star. Tobias Harris, not locked in the corner by Doc Rivers. You know, <laughs> like like Joel Embiid, your, your MVP. You literally have an MVP sitting there. 
what are you doing? What are you trying to do? You know, like, so I, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a very frustrating situation to watch, especially when I just want to watch like good basketball, you know? And, and if he was out there even feigning to be happy, like it's, it's, it's better basketball than what I'm going to get to see and what I have to talk about. So right now I'm in a, in a real like fuck James Harden kind of mood, you know? Yeah. And we will be for the time, time being. And the last thing about Harden, it's like he followed Maury to Philadelphia. <laughs> right. He, like, are we not going to talk yeah. about that? Yeah. It's like, it's like, if you hated your ex that much, you would not move to the same city That's that right. they were in and try That's to get right. back with them. That's right. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, maybe Maury like, you know, maybe Harden's waiting for that. Like, maybe he's just a proud Baby, guy, and he's just waiting for the call. Yeah, he's waiting for the fruit basket. It's like, yo, girl, I'm sorry I did that to you. Like, maybe that's what he's waiting for. And Maury's just like, you know, that's his business. I don't know. It does seem personal with Harden. You know, it does. James Harden wants more romance and movies. He does. He's like, <laughs> if right. Maury just went over there, <laughs> a nice bottle of wine, rub my beard. This at all this could all get better. All right. Well, speaking of romance, let's get to Victor Wembenyama. Uh, you know, for the first three My quarters love. of his debut, Wemby wasn't that impressive, just having six points, but then he exploded in the fourth quarter. Um, kept had a fourth quarter where he finished with 15 points, nine points in a three minute span, showed what he could possibly be in this league. Uh, Spurs ended up falling to the Mavs 126, 119. But did what did you like and what didn't you like from Wembenyama in his debut? There's nothing I didn't like. I'm sorry, the guy, he's the guy's he's from France and he's a teenager and he just played his first NBA game. So, yeah, no, like seeing a guy at his size just run around the fucking court, change shots, hit a bunch of threes that look super comfortable, and not to mention the Spurs being competitive. You know what I mean? Like, really competitive. They look kind of good, you know? Like, they, they really did. And it's like, uh, no, I think all you could take away from this is like, wow, like the NBA and all of us as fans hit a home run because I haven't you know, and I, I know who was it? Woj that took all that shit for saying he's like maybe the best prospect in the history of pro sports or something like that. But it is the first time in a while where somebody's around. If he's on TV, like that's what I'm doing. I'm just watching that and seeing what happens because I've never seen it like that on a basketball court. You see how many three point shots he's blocking. Yeah just blocking three-point shots willy-nilly you know like and 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 like this is him just scratching the surface of trying to figure it out i mean everything that comes out about this kid is he's like good kid coachable works hard wants it i mean i guess if you want to find me a downside it's watching you know professional nba players and their bodies tumble towards his legs and lose balls and stuff like that Sure. I have that like that same kind of like pensiveness that I have, like when Aaron Judge is like full on tracking down a ball in the outfield and I go, oh, God, this could be the moment, you know, and and that takes a little while. I don't know if I'll always have that with him because of like just the track record of people his size. I mean, I, I've heard a couple people bring up like the immediate impact that guys like Manute Bowl had in his rookie season. I know it's like looked at now as like kind of like a flash anomaly or something silly, 
Manute Bowl's rookie year, that motherfucker was blocking like four or five shots a game. Like people didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like it's not like they were getting blocked for fun. Like he was just this new thing that people had to figure out. Mark Eaton, too, at the time was kind of like fucking people up like that. Um, but the, th- the the massive difference is like, you know, those guys were like just true get me under the basket dudes like to the most extent like um the league was like amazingly different at that time and those people were never looked at as all-around prospects you know because of that like you know i don't know i could go on for a long time but to me it still looks like some version of of kevin durant and the giant body and i and but but even better i don't know it's great it's great I don't want to talk bad about it. It's great. What did you think? I've got nine compliments, one criticism that I okay. noticed right away. The guy, because he is able to block everybody's shot at a ridiculous clip, like they could be two people away. He, he can block the shot. He's lazy when people try to beat him off the dribble and he gets beat a lot. And that's going to have to change his verticality. Not there right now. I get it. He's tall, but there are ways as he gets stronger as all parts of his body gets stronger in this league he's going to get better at that i mean Giannis' defense like the first season like was not there he got beat and he got way better at that turned into the defensive player of the year so i think that that's just a rookie thing but it's gonna be very interesting next year once people have a whole year of like okay what does this look like you know like we've seen this uh, a bunch where it's like a rookie comes on the scene we're like wow and then the next year people have enough film on them and these analytics department and coaches are smart enough they figure out the game plan the the proof in the pudding here with this guy is going to be what does he add to his game and if he starts with the verticality and then leads to better shooting i i think that the sky's the limit now the other problem i have has nothing to do with victor wambanyama it's the fact that which his name is so fun to say fast that i'm just gonna love doing this for 15 years no but the fact that people are like he could be better than lebron james and if you look at the expectations for lebron when he came into the league they're like he's gonna be better than michael jordan and the the, the weight that that put over his career seems like it, it's, it was suffocating for him and LeBron beat it. I just don't know to put that on somebody else. Like, why do we do this? Uh, it's a fair question. It's almost like a big philosophical question about all of this, because I mean, shit in, in, in all of the sports, there is no sport, but basketball where this is like a more considered thing, you know, especially, with the fact that in every other sport, it's really positionally dictated. You know what I mean? Like, uh, sure, Babe Ruth was the best hitter. Who's the best pitcher? Who's the best hitter now? You know, like, you can always make these distinctions. Who's the best quarterback? Who's the best wideout? Like, I've always had a problem with taking away position when comparing players. It's always bothered me. It bothered me from the day... LeBron James came in, not the day, I didn't, I shouldn't say that. Maybe took me a minute to form my opinion, but LeBron James to me was Magic Johnson Mm -hmm. and Kobe Bryant was Michael Jordan. And these were the offshoots and that's who you should be comparing him to. And Victor Wembanyama, like, what the fuck does he have to do with LeBron James? You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's, uh, we're looking at a completely different player style um, you know, by the end, his comps will probably be a lot closer to like a Giannis, maybe not to make it too floaty, but a Will Chamberlain or like, you know, you got to get into some big man stuff because, of course, like he's going to smash every record 
uh, LeBron has for for blocks. He's, I mean, immediately a much better shooter, which, you know, like if you want to compare LeBron when he came to the league as a rookie for the first five years to Wemby now, I mean, it took years for LeBron to even adapt what was a, a three-point shot you had to respect, and that was a knock on him for a long time. Wemby's coming in as like a pretty lights-out shooter, you know, like right off the bat. So it's just totally different style, and you got to start comping to different guys. You got to start going to Dirk. But I feel you, and it, it is something that like it, it kind of sullies the joy sometimes with people's careers and what they do. You know, this this uh, idea that Jordan's always going to be a better than LeBron if he doesn't get this last ring and these weird quantifiable things we do. I'm with you. It's annoying, and it's too early, and maybe like before we start aggregating every like, you know, tiny piece of minutia with this guy, let's um, enjoy it for a little while and just see what happens. That would be nice. It's not going to happen in your perfect world. There's too many damn podcasts. It's not going to happen, <laughs> but that would be nice. Do you want to contradict ourselves real quick and talk about Anthony Davis getting zero points against the nuggets to wrap things up here or no. Sure. I mean, we can knock Anthony Davis <laughs> a little bit to start. I mean, listen, I mean, listen, they did it to themselves. They got real chatty this off season, you know, AD and LeBron kind of got this like, yo, we had some secret meetings and we know what's going on now thing. And then they came, they got spoke, you know, spanked by the horsemen again, <laughs> you know, and uh, like had to listen to who's your daddy chats and stuff like that. And, I'm sorry. This time you asked for it. You did like, like the nuggets are the best right now. You're all going after him. This guy's the best player in the NBA. You're all going after him. And listen, stop. Don't talk right now. You know, like don't anger the horseman because you're <laughs> going to feel the wrath. Like, uh, so I think it's kind of funny actually. And honestly, it's the classic knock on AD and the thing you're always going to get with this guy. Like we don't have to, you know, it's only a crazy person who never changes their thought patterns. Like, this is AD. Yeah. Sometimes he's going to be great. Sometimes he's going to totally fucking disappear. That's just this guy's style, you know? What's AD right now? He's he, he's a top 15 player, not, not, not top 10 right now, right? I'd say. You know, this is where, fuck, man. <laughs> it goes month to We're month. Doing the thing. Yeah, it really yeah. does. It because... goes month to month. Like, you could have told. There was points of last year where I'm like, Jesus, top five. Yeah. What are you going to do about this guy, especially when you start considering what he does on defense and how much he affects a game? I mean, and that's maybe always one of the upsides to Anthony Davis is even when he disappears on offense, you still got him back there on defense, which is important, you know, and it helps. But um, I don't know. What is he these days? Yeah, like like, sure, he's a top top 15 player if you start start lining up the actual games. But there are months where I'll tell you he's like he's like a top 50 player. Then there's months I'll tell you he's a top five player. And the thing that just keeps him out of like the upper echelon is that consistency always, you know. I, I bring this up because he said, yeah, like the like what happened in the second half is they started like doubling me and they like crowded the paint. I was like, if you if you consider yourself to be a top player in the league, exactly. Like it shouldn't yeah. matter. Like you no. get it done. Like and it, you know it's coming. If you're hot in the first yeah. half, of course. Yeah, you're gonna get doubles in the second. I could tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. thing no, happens to Embiid, it happens to Giannis. Like step you don't think they were putting yeah. two bodies on Cam Thomas last night? <laughs> oh, you know they were. That's why he missed the last year. No, they were. You know they were. 
Oh, man. Come on, Cam Thomas. I got to say, <laughs> me and Howard Beck had a disagreement at the end of last season. Reese said, you should sell high on Cam Thomas now because this is the, the best it's going to get. And now I'm like, I don't know. Might have Jamal Crawford on our hands here. Oh, no. Come right. on. Come on. <laughs> Gotta oh. love Cam Thomas. Great first showing. Oh, man. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, uh, follow us at the tune HQ on X, on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok everywhere uh be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel so you don't miss a video and support us and make all the good things happen um benny's gonna be all over the youtubes on a variety of channels coming up uh if you want to see him promote all of his good stuff all the fun stuff he's got coming up he is at benny horowitz on instagram uh benny you got anything else I'm going to remember this, that you glossed over Cam Thomas. I'm going to, this is, this is planted in my elephant memory. You're getting, you're getting some for this. Everyone love everyone. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the music and the podcast. I do appreciate it. The show has ended. Go in peace and buy the goddamn record. It's history books. You've been listening to and watching the tune up. We just increased sales by 2000%. Easy.